And last week we looked at this impossible prayer uh, publicly prayed by this guy. I mean, he hung it all out there. Everybody heard the prayer. Uh, and he was in this horrible, impossible dilemma. And a lot of his dilemma was his own doing. He had done some things and he needed to ask God for something supernatural. He asked him to make the sun stand still. He didn't even pray the right prayer. And, um, you know, the funny thing was that God wasn't intimidated by this long shot request. I mean, if there was ever been a Hail Mary pass in the scriptures, this one was it. Anybody like football? Nobody, we're done with football. Anyway, so, you know, I mean, God, God is not intimidated by your huge request. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. Sometimes he goes, come on, ask me something. Come on, ask me for something more than be with me today. And, um, you know, I had this, this audacity last week to suggest to you that that impossible need that's in your life is exactly the right size for God. And um, I think he loves to step in to our circumstances once we acknowledge, especially when we acknowledge, I'm not going to be able to get this done without you, God. I mean, he loves that. So I challenge you to pray as Joshua did, a sun stand still kind of prayer. And I, I think God does respond to our faith. Um, you know, he can do that more than you think, more than you imagine in your relationships, in your physical body, in your finances, when it comes to your purpose on life, your, your purpose in life, your, your ministry, what, whatever it is. You know, today I want to take a look at the what if, the, the, the stuff that comes up when we think we're walking towards our promise. And um, I mean, I wish I could say to you that if you just pray your sun stands still prayer, you know, we can all go home and believe now for big things and it's going to all be good and um, you'll never have an ache or a pain again. And when you ask your teenage child to do the dishes, they will never roll their eyes again. And instead they'll sing and the birds will chirp and they'll shine with the countenance of heaven. I mean, I wish I could tell you that's what it was going to be. The fact is that you may ask the Lord to make the sun stand still and the sky might seemingly get a little bit darker before you see some light. You might ask the Lord to to make your marriage get better, but your spouse keeps getting a little bit cooler towards you. And uh, we're going to look at a passage in the New Testament today that looks at that situation just like that, about this guy who, who asked God to do something. In fact, he asked talk to Jesus Christ in person for something pretty special. And just as about, just about as his, his miracle is about to happen, things all of a sudden get worse, way worse. And um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Now I'm going to summarize, I'll kind of set the stage for you here, and then we'll pick it up in a minute. There's this guy named Jairus, who was a very important ruler in the synagogue. And he, had his, he has a 12-year-old daughter, and she's sick. She's very, very, very sick. And so the scripture says that it actually uses the word, it says he humbles himself. Now, let me paint that picture for you. He humbles himself to go seek Jesus. And, and humbling himself is this. He's, he's one of the leaders in the synagogue. The priests and the, and the, and, and the Pharisees are, are wary of Jesus. In fact, they don't like him. They consider him a blasphemer. He's getting all the attention. He's really turning their world upside down. They've even gotten to the point now where they're plotting, plotting some things they can do to get him out of the way. So now this priest is thinking, you know, this bad guy, and all of a sudden he's in the situation. His situation is so dire that he's willing to throw that all away and go seek help because he's, he, he has nothing left. So here's his deal back at home. His daughter's really, really sick. I mean, sick, dying kind of sick. She's 12. I mean, I, there's, the scripture doesn't paint the picture, but it, it wouldn't be that hard to imagine what's going on. He's got servants. 
His wife is sitting on the floor. His 12-year-old daughter is laying across her lap. She's holding her daughter, listening to breathing, getting shallower and shorter. Her, maybe her clothes are now starting to get wet from her mother's tears that are dripping on her as she strokes her daughter's head. And he looks at this and he looks at this and his daughter is ebbing away and they're wailing and they're wanting something and nothing they can do. And he just gets to the point where he can't do anything. He doesn't care anymore what the guys are going to think at the office. He doesn't care anymore. He just needs something for his daughter. And so the word says he humbles himself before Jesus and he gets to him and basically he says, I need you to touch my daughter. And to me, that circumstance represents the greatest need any human being can have. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there before. This, you know, reading this story takes me back to when my son Joseph was three months old. You know, if you know Joseph now, he's a big boy. And, uh, but at, at three months, he was still this helpless little baby. And he couldn't breathe. And we took him to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, I'm going to way compress the story. The doctor says, hey, this is serious. He's got pneumonia. You can't care for him. Give him to us. Take him to the hospital. We got to go to the hospital. This is, this is a big deal. And I remember looking at the son that I loved, thinking, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a problem solver. That's partly my temperament. I want to go fix things. Guys want to do that especially, but I'm kind of like squared on that. I mean, I got to fix this. And I look at my son and I can't fix him. And I love him. And I'm watching him struggle and I'm looking in my wife's eyes. And I, I would have done anything for him, but I couldn't do anything for him. So Jairus, his need, I really think could be symbolic of the most desperate need in your life today or ever, any day. That is unless, of course, your need is more dire than your 12-year-old daughter is dying. I mean, that's, I think that's about as bad as it can get. And I think, I love the fact that God's word will speak to the toughest of our situations. There's no situation that, that this word doesn't speak to. So Jesus agrees to Jairus. He says, okay, I'll come with you. We'll take care of this. He agrees to heal his daughter. And now Jairus must be thinking, wow, my prayer is being answered. Now, maybe you've recently been on a wave crest. You're up on the top of the world and, you know, you feel like your prayers are being answered and, you know, maybe they've been a long time in coming. Maybe, you know, you've, you've had a real struggle, but there's light at the end of this tunnel. I see something now and your, your miracle is getting closer. And then all of a sudden you get interrupted by some circumstance. And that's exactly what happens next to Jairus. His little daughter's dying. Jesus agrees to heal her. They're on their way. And along the way, this woman comes in and cuts in line in front of Jairus. <laughs> I don't know how you do when people take cuts. We had the odd thing happen last night. Lisa and I went to a ukulele concert, right? <laughs> See, if you're a ukulele snob, you say ukulele, but otherwise you say ukulele. So we're in line, and we're waiting our turn that had nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. We're in line. We're waiting our turn to get into the building. And, and it was downtown Olympia. And this virtuoso, this guy, it's really fun. Plays wonderful. And, and so we're coming along the line. There's quite a long line. And it's festival seating. You know what that means? is like you get inside, you pick your seat. It's not an assigned seat. So if you want to get a good seat, you get, in the, you know. So we, we work our way around the block. This guy walks up. He's got a $100 bill. He shoves it in Lisa's face. And she says, he says, 
I'll give you $100 if I can get in front of you. Now, there's, <laughs> the line goes down to the corner and around down to the next block. She looks at him and says, no. I look at her and I said, what? <laughs> he says, okay, and he works his way down the line. I don't know how far back there he went. <laughs> we talked about that for a while. I, but, but, I mean, that's the weird kind of cuts, okay, where somebody hands you a $100 bill. Usually it's for me when I'm on the freeway and there's something coming and the lanes are blocked and the lines are, you know, and, and, and some turkey goes charging up the side on the shoulder. Rocks are flying and people are getting, like he's some special deal. Come on. Doesn't that bug you? <laughs> you need to work on your patience if that bothers you. <laughs> I was driving down the road the other day and I lost my patience a little bit and somebody cut me off and I was mumbling and the Holy Spirit just put this, that tender little finger right there and kind of pushed. That's somebody's daughter. Oh. Come on in, honey. Here's a place for you just right there. It's nice and safe. Anyway, this woman cuts in in front of Jairus and I know there's nothing comical about this, this story here but you're about to the place where you're going to have your daughter healed. Your son stands still prayer is about to be answered. And then you never saw it coming. And this woman cuts in. This woman who's had this problem for 12 years presses in through the crowd. The word says, touches the hem of Jesus' garment, gets healed miraculously. And he stops the whole thing saying, hey, hey, hey. It's quite a scene. The problem is, while this woman and her legitimate, genuine, long-term need is getting help, my precious little girl is home dying. I'm struggling. That's where we pick up the story. Mark 5, 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they say to him, your daughter is dead. Hey, 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 hold on a minute. No, 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 no. She's not dead. No, 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 no. Jesus, you said you were going to come and heal her. My daughter's dead. I thought it was going to get better. I thought the promise was coming to me. Have you ever been at a place where you thought, you know, everything is finally coming together. God's going to answer this. And then bam, somebody or something, Obviously, more important steps in line, and all of a sudden, God doesn't even seem to be here with me anymore. He's somewhere else. He's obviously not blessing me. He seems to have disappeared, and I've gone now from having a sick daughter, a bad situation, to a dead situation. Now, I don't just need healing now. I've got to have resurrection. It's gotten worse. That's the place where Jairus is. And then they ask him this question. Why bother the teacher anymore? I feel like that's where a lot of people are today in their personal life. You know, you've asked God to do some things for you. You actually believed he could do it. You get your faith all stirred up. I think, I think sometimes people can come to church even and dislike this, that, that somebody's going to stand in front of them and say, come on, believe, it's going to be better. And... You know, you get your hopes up and then you feel like something comes crashing down. And then you thought, well, maybe this can happen. Maybe God can use me. Maybe I can make a difference. And then something flies in my face. And the very thing I was believing God for 
and, or something cripples me in a way that just, you know, I, I never really wanted to believe this to begin with. I thought I would get let down. You know, maybe I'm just talking to myself here. I don't know. I've been, but have you ever got to a place in a relationship where, you know, with God where you were feeling or you were wondering, why even bother? And the people who said this to Jairus, they were the people of his own household. They weren't his enemies. These were his people. The greatest doubts you'll ever face in life won't be from somebody else. They're going to come from right inside there, right inside you. From within your own self, the thought will come, why bother? Why bother? And here's this paradox that we face now that in, in walking in faith and trusting God for big things. You know, you want to see God move. You want to see him work through you. you. You know, on the one hand, you have God saying, you know, giving you some hope and saying it's possible because the Bible teaches that all things are possible to those who believe in Mark 9. But every time God's saying that to you, it's, it's, it's possible. It's possible for there to be a breakthrough. It's possible to be free. It's possible to make a difference. You've got the enemy right there on the other side saying to you, why bother? You know, you've tried to stop this habit for years. You want to stop it. But then you realize and you start saying to yourself, you know, what makes this year any different than any other year? Why bother? Why bother trying to get your wife or why bother trying to get your husband to, to love you? You know, every attempt you ever make to get them to be more tender just seems to kind of fall through the floor. Why bother ask God to resurrect your marriage? Why bother pray about a kid who, a child who's using drugs? You've asked God to move on it before. Why bother going to church? Why bother giving to church? You've given before, and, and now you've, you've thought, I mean, now that I'm giving God, things are going to get better, but actually your finances get worse before they get better. Why bother? Have you ever felt, why bother? Just me? Come on, I won't use this against you. Have you ever? Come on, it's pretty common. I mean, you know, I, I'm overweight. I, my friends are over. But why bother? Why bother? Why serve in the church? Nobody cares. Nobody seems to notice. Why bother? Why bother believing? Why bother dreaming? Why bother? So we get to verse 36. And here's what I love about Jesus. I just love this about him. You know, maybe in part this is just my, my selfish immaturity because sometimes, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I, I, I get the privilege of listening to people complain more than I want to. <laughs> well, that was so condescending. I don't mean for... <laughs> But here's Jesus with this wonderful thing. He says, verse 36, ignoring what they said. I want to do the end zone dance, you know. <laughs> ignoring what they say. You know, Jesus, you know, if you're going to learn to walk in faith and do big things for God, you have to learn Mark you know, 5.36 because there are going to be times when not just the people around you, but the voice inside you is telling you it's not possible. It's not in you. Nobody's ever done it before. I mean, so many times in my life, I've had people tell me, oh, you know, come on. That's not, don't even bother. It, it, it won't work that way. I've got 101 reasons why it's never been done before. You know, sometimes things have never been done before, and that's true. Maybe it's because God has been saving it up for you. Could be. Maybe you have to learn how to ignore what they're saying. You have to learn sometimes selective hearing. I, I, you know, selective hearing is one of your 
best, most effective allies in the fight to build your faith. You have to learn how to tune out the doubts. You got to learn how to tune out the doubts. That's exactly what Jesus did here. Yeah, a little girl's dead. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to go. I don't want to hear that. I, I, I want to go. And watch now as he is unfazed when our situation seems to get worse. He's unfazed. You know, it doesn't get any worse from a human perspective than losing your 12-year-old. But, you know, watch his unflinching response here. I mean, this same Jesus who responds with a sovereign plan, this same Jesus who, who responds without compromising is just as capable, just as in command. He is just as in control of whatever impossible situation you face today. Even if it seems dead. Even if it seems that there's no hope, God can resurrect it. So verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Okay, on the one hand, you've got Jairus' own people, his own servants saying, why bother? And on the other hand, you've got Jesus with the audacity to say, just believe. And then the smartest thing that Jairus did in the situation is just keep his mouth shut and do what Jesus said. He did. That's the smartest thing he could do. That's a great strategy when everything against, seems to be against what God has promised you. You keep the promises of God front and center in your life and just follow Jesus back to the house. And watch what Jesus does, verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. You just can't let everybody in your life have a voice. You just can't if you want to do great things for God. Now, this, that, that could actually be a problem with us. I mean, maybe, maybe you've been listening to relatives who are always trying to tell you how to live your life and they don't even live their life right. Or, or, or you're listening to people telling you how to run your finances and their finances are a train wreck. You, know, you just can't listen to everybody. You have to listen, have, listen to the right voices in your life. And you know, that's one reason I'm glad to see you. I mean, I mean, that's why you should come to church. That's why you should try to be in church when you can because you need to have the right voices in your life. Verse 38, so Jesus was being selective about who he wanted around him. Only three people get to follow him. Um, he says, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went into them and he said, wow, this commotion and wailing. Interesting. Jesus doesn't even see death here. He only sees an opportunity for resurrection. Jesus doesn't see your situation the way you see your situation. Wow. Your 12-year-old daughter can be dead. But if you keep moving forward in faith... Jesus looks at that situation and he says, don't be afraid, don't give up, don't count yourself down, just believe, just believe. The devil says, why bother? Jesus says, just believe. God says, another day is coming. Your best days are not behind you. I do have a plan for your life. Just believe. Your divorce does not define you. There's something God can do with your life. And we have to learn how to hold that tension in reality. Every time the potential for faith is born in your life, the enemy is going to be right there saying to you, why bother? That's a fact. Every time your potential starts to unfold, the enemy will be saying to you, why bother? And here's what you've got to learn to do. It's kind of like how you handle telemarketers. You have caller ID. The best strategy with telemarketers is just to never pick the phone up. 
Uh, my apologies to any telemarketers here. <laughs> but if you call my number, I'm probably not going to pick it up. So verse 39. He went in and said to them, while this commotion and the wailing, but they laughed at him. Just like when God told Abraham, you know, you're going to have a whole lot of kids. He was going to have a son. The first time he was told that, he was 75. I mean, there's a promise made at 75. There's a whole bunch of them. And by the time that the story that you're familiar with, he's telling him, he's 100 years old. And they laughed at God. That's bad strategy, by the way, laughing at God. You can put that in your notes if you're taking notes. Um, And so after Jesus had put all of these people out, which, by the way, is what we're going to do today with all of your doubts. We're just going to take those doubts and put them out. All of the reasons the enemy gives you to disbelieve God's plans for you. All of the reasons that the enemy would say to you to cause you to doubt that your marriage can be something special. All of the reasons that would cause you to think that you can't make a difference or that your family can't serve together under the banner of Jesus. All of that doubt, we're going to put that out today. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Now remember, this place is dark. Mom has given up. The little girl is motionless. She's not breathing. He takes her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. I bet he didn't yell it. Don't know. I think it was a tender moment. God doesn't have to yell to get his way, by the way. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. When I used to read that, this is a rabbit trail, you know, he would give orders, don't tell anybody about this wonderful thing. There was a reason he wasn't ready yet to be exposed. You know, so even in this majestic moment of raising the dead, he's mindful of the highest priorities, the most important things, yet he still takes time and he still makes time to do the right things. Great, great example. And we serve this God who not only raises someone from the, you know, from the dead, but he has the presence of mind to tell him, hey, fix her some mac and cheese, she's hungry. I mean, he thinks of everything. He thinks of everything. He's not worried about your situation. He's not worried about what's keeping you up at night. He's not freaked about those kinds of things. He just, you know, he just, he just, he just wants to exude this. You know. Say this out loud. God's got this one just like the last one. God's got this one just like the last one. Good. It's like he's saying, why are you worried about that battle? I've already won it. Even if the sun goes down, I will be your light. Even if evil gets in your way, I'll use the very thing the enemy plans to use to tear you up. I'll turn it around and use it to bless you. Genesis 50, 20. It's a great story. So when you're asking yourself, why bother? No. No, no, no. Just believe. Just believe. You don't have to understand always to just believe. You don't have to have all the facts. Jairus didn't have all the facts. He was just told, just believe. And he did that smart thing. Just close his mouth and do what Jesus said. I'm going to quote to you from the 1981 philosopher, Journey. Don't stop believing. 
Just hold on to your faith. Hold on to your faith, Peter. When you step out of the boat and you start to sink and the storm is breaking the boat apart and it's just hold on to your faith and Jesus just says to you, come. A single word. There were no lessons in Matthew 14 in that story where here's how you walk on letter. There's no, there's no lessons in there. And in fact, one word, come. I mean, I give more instructions than that to my dogs. And I have to say sit over and over and over again. He says, come. And Peter steps toward Jesus, but he starts sinking. But he was close enough to Jesus that Jesus was able to reach out and help him back up. Even if you go down, stay close enough to Jesus that he can lift you up. If you or if I am close enough to Jesus, he can reach out and help me if I start to go down. Hold on to your faith. Just believe. Scripture is full of men and women who could have said, why bother? Why bother? Abraham could have said, why bother? I mean, the first time he was 75 and, you know, a later time he was 100 and God says, you know, you know, you're going to have kids. You know, basically, God says, hey, you know, put on little Barry White, chase Sarah around the house because you're going to have a family. <laughs> he could have said, why bother? <laughs> this was before Barry White, so. You know, Joseph could have said, why bother? He was unjustly enslaved for 13 years, he was imprisoned. But he remembered the promise of God he had as a little guy that one day the Lord would use him to bless a nation and his family. And he believed. Moses could have said, why bother? He was a stutterer. He was a stammerer. He was insecure. And even after nine plagues, Pharaoh still wouldn't let the people go, even though God was very obviously involved. But Moses remembered a promise that he would lead the people out of bondage and into a promised land full of flowing with milk and honey. Joshua could have said, why bother? But he said, God, stop the sun, please. I need daylight to keep going. And God did the very thing that Joshua asked him for. Paul could have said, why bother? You know, they were beating him. They stoned him within an inch of his life. He was shipwrecked. But he remembered, you know, what we read in Acts 20, 24. He says, I just want to complete the mission, finish what it is that the Lord has called me to do and to be. Jesus could have said, why bother? He was beaten beyond recognition. He was hung on a cross by the very people he came to save. But he said, instead, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then on the third day, he jumps out of a borrowed tomb. We serve a God who says to you today, who says to you right now, he says to you this moment, just believe, just believe. My prayer for you, may you displace all of your doubts with the promises of God who can make the sun stand still for you today. Let's pray. God, when a voice seems to kick in that says, why bother? May the voice of Jesus be stronger, saying, just believe, just believe. Lord, I pray that we would see miracles in our lives. I pray, Lord, for the things that we may have given up hope for, that, God, we would once again just believe, that we would do, just like Jairus, close our mouth and follow you home. I pray, Lord, for the things that people are just, just it's risky to hang your heart out there again and risk being disappointed. 
But I, I just pray, God, that, you, that, that, that your loving whispers, just believe, would really shout down the yelling hell does that says, why bother? And Lord, we realize that why bother comes from many sources, from many sources of places that we love, including ourselves. Lord, help us to learn to disregard that phrase. God, I pray that when we can't see the miracle, we can be the miracle, that, Lord, you would sustain us with your grace. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Church, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask, um, actually, if we take the lights down for a moment. just want to give a moment of privacy. The beginning of, of service, I said, the Lord has a word for you today. And I want to encourage you that the word that the Lord spoke to your heart is yours to guard. Last week in service, you know all those messages that you're like, hey, pastor, you're like looking into my life and knowing what's going on and, and you, you spoke this thing. The Lord put a touch on my heart, a word. And I was amazed at how quickly the world tried to snatch the promise of God. I was amazed at how quickly my flesh wanted to give up on the promise of God. Grab on to it. Protect it. The reason I had him turn the lights down is we're going to build an altar that we can hold that word to, that we can come back to. I don't know what the word is the Lord spoke to you today, but I know he spoke to you. For me last week, tell you what I did. I went online, crossroadsfoursquare.net, listened to Pastor Terry's message probably about five or six times to submit it in really good and deep. I wrote down the stuff that God said to me, the promises. Hang on to that. Cherish it. Go back to the altar as often as you have to. just bow our, our heads for a moment, church, and let's just give privacy to anybody else who heard the word of the Lord speak to them today. A word of salvation. A word that said, just believe. That's all you have to do. Just believe in me. And I'll save you. Jesus into your heart. If you'd like to receive him today, he's spoken to you already. Between you and me, would you just look up, raise your hand real high, let me see you and let me pray with you. Anyone who wants to receive the Lord this morning. Okay. Okay, church, you can look up this way. Now, as we sing this next song, we're not going to rush to get out of here, okay? Promise I'm going to get you out of here. But let's cement this word. Let's build an altar. Here you go, band. You make all things work together.
together for my good And you make all things work together for my good And you make all things work together for my good And you make all things work together for my good changes there may be pain in the night but joy comes in the morning and when the oceans fade I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me here we go your love never separate even if I ran away your love never fails I know I know I still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love never fails let it quit you stay the same Joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me Your love never fails Sing that, your love never fails Your love never fails More time Hey church, we're going to turn the lights down As you walk out of here May you walk in the love of the Lord Know that that promise of His word Is built upon the love of Christ, amen God bless you, have a great week